I was married to an alcoholic and I couldn't fix her. Like that's somehow that's really shameful. It's not a logical thing, right? It's a feeling. And so I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I couldn't tell my family. I couldn't tell my friends. And I think if it, if I had tried, they wouldn't have understood, which, you know, you also get that one, right? And here was a place where I could. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello there, ladies and gents. That was the voice of Mr. Spencer T that many of you will recognize from the recovery show at the beginning of this episode, and you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment, but first things first. This episode right here, right now, is being brought to you by Micah, Jalisa, Gerhard, and Kathy. You know what Micah and Jalisa and Gerhard and Kathy did? Well, let me tell you. They went to our website, soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate PayPal tab, and they made a contribution. Thank you very much, Micah, Jalisa, Gerhard, and Kathy. This episode is coming right out to you guys. Now, I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am I must say, I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So, take a seat around this virtual table and let's get cranked up. We have an event coming up. This is a Sober Speak Live event. And this Sober Speak Live event is not like any that you have seen thus far. In other words, all the Sober Speak Live events I have had up to this point in the history of the United States. I think I've had three of them. But anyway, I, all of them that we have had have been um, in a church here in the North Texas area. But guess what? This one is going to be on a Zoom meeting. And just in case you're not familiar with the Zoom platform, but most people in Alcoholics Anonymous and the other recovery programs are familiar with that now, just because of this COVID-19, we will be having it on Zoom. It, that means it'll be virtual. Uh, as long as you have a 
device, a PC, a cell phone, a computer, whatever it is you have, and you have some way to access Zoom, then you can join. So this event is going to be on May 8th, Friday night at 7 p.m. Central Time. That is 5 p.m. Pacific Time in the United States of America. Now, I do realize that I am boxing out some of my friends in the UK and other places because it's really late at night. I think it's the middle of the night there and uh, several other places. However, I will try to have one of these events uh, in the near future, in the middle of the day here in the US uh, to where we can have uh, uh, everybody that can attend. That way we can get Moss Personas. Is that is that how you say it in Spanish? Like more people, Moss Personas? There is my fantastic bilinguality coming at you one more time. So anyway, uh, I'm going to try to have some live music for this thing. Uh, I'm still quite honestly in the, the planning stages of this, but we will make it more interactive. In other words, I'm going to have some questions for, oh, did I mention who's going to be there? I think I said Bill C, but just in case I didn't, Bill C will be featured. Uh, He is absolutely fantastic. A lot of you will know him from this podcast. I'm really looking forward to having him in. And I am going to ask some questions on the front end for Mr. Bill C of Torrance, California. And then I'm going to let you guys join in on the party and ask your own questions during the event. Uh, We're probably going to let you post your questions via chat. I'll have the Zoom ID listed on Well, it's going to be a couple of ways. Number one, look in your emails for those of you who are on my email list. And if you're not, send me your email to john at soberspeak.com if you want to be on that list. But I'm going to have it posted on our website as well, www.soberspeak.com. And when I say I will have it posted on the website, that actually means my wife will be doing that, just so you know. But we, as a team, will have it posted on the website. We'll also post it in social media on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, But if you have any questions about the event coming up, feel free to reach out to me at John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. Let's go on to Mr. Spencer T. Mr. Spencer T, uh, his surrender date, he's going to be covering during this uh, session the steps one, two, and three of Al-Anon. And Spencer's surrender date is April 10th of 2002. He addresses the anger and rage that came out sideways while he was dealing with active alcoholism. Uh, We also get a little cameo from Spencer's dog named DJ during the uh, episode. Uh, Looks like DJ needed a little attention, and I'm glad that (laughs) Spencer was able to provide that. And a quote from Spencer during this that I had never heard before, and I I really liked it. Uh, People in Al-Anon may be real familiar with this uh, quote, but I I had not heard it. And he said, uh, uh, I don't have to get on their roller coaster anymore. So, ladies and gentlemen, I know you're going to enjoy this episode, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this. Enjoy, Spencer. Okay, everybody. So today, we are sitting here, and we're fortunate enough to be sitting here with the one and only Mr. Spencer T. from The Recovery shows. So Spencer, first of all, why don't you go ahead and say hello to the audience and then I'll set it up a little bit more. 
Hello, audience. Good job. All right. So Spencer uh, is, uh, like I said, he's from The Recovery Show. We've been talking about getting together for quite some time. And I will tell you that I have people uh, who write me, Spencer, and they ask me if I have any recommendations on other recovery podcasts. And the first one that I always send them to is yours. Because I well, think thank you, you for do, that. you're quite welcome because I think you do an excellent job in so many ways. Uh, and it is just, when I listen to it, it's relaxing for me. Absolutely love it. Okay, so this is a little bit of a different episode in that Spencer is not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, but he is a member of the Al-Anon family group. So Spencer, why don't you go over tell, I think you have what you call a surrender date. Is that what you call it? That's what I call it. Um, some people just call it their birthday. Um, but I call it my surrender date because for me, it was the day when I understand now it was that day that I took the first step in my heart. I don't think I knew the words of the first step. I couldn't have told you what it said. Uh, I probably would have said no way. But looking back, I know that on that on that day in my heart, I took that first step. I understood and accepted my powerlessness. And so I call it my surrender date because that was the day that I surrendered my fruitless attempts to control my loved one's drinking. And what is that surrender date? That is April 10th. 2002. I like how you phrase that right off the bat. Uh, and that is that your fruitless attempts to control your loved ones. So let's, let me just give a little bit more of a setup. What we're going to do here is kind of start to meander through the steps of Al-Anon, uh, which are the same, but different uh, in terms of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, as you know. Um, and the first step, let's talk about that first, right? So the first step, why don't you go ahead and tell me what the first step is in Al-Anon? So I'll just say for, for those of you who are familiar with the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 steps of Al-Anon have the exact same words except for one word in step 12, which we're not at yet, so I won't go there. Hmm. So the first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Okay, so it is the exact same. It's, it uh, is the exact same step. Um, and we understand the meaning of that a little bit differently. Okay, talk about that. Right, because it's not my... Con I mean, I'm not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I thank God for me, don't have the allergy and the obsession. But so for me, it's not alcohol that I consume that I'm powerless over. It's the alcohol that is driving my loved one's addiction that I'm powerless over. And so it's a little bit maybe more subtle. It's a little bit harder to see because I could see that my life was, I don't know if I would have quite used the word unmanageable, but it sure as heck wasn't good. There was a lot of 
chaos. There was a lot of despair, fear, anger, frustration in my life that I didn't seem to be able to not have. Um, I was, I was a rageful person at that point in my life. I would, my, my anger would come out on anybody around me at the very slightest provocation, except mostly for my loved one who was the alcoholic in my life at that point. Hmm. It would come out on my children. It would come out on my coworkers. And every time, like, you know, I would blow up at work and then I would have to have the talk with my boss and I would be like, well, I'm sorry, you know, I won't do it again. I mean, that sounds real familiar, right? I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And I meant it in that moment. Okay. But I couldn't not do it. Okay. So in that way, my life was unmanageable, but I had no idea why. You know, I didn't understand that that anger that i mean i understood like when i was lying awake at night in in fear of what would happen if you know she didn't stop drinking if she you know killed herself drinking for god's sake um you know i knew where that was coming from but there was all this other stuff going on in my life that i didn't understand was also connected to the alcoholism so I was powerless over my loved one's consumption of alcohol, just as she was powerless over it herself. Um, and so that's what I say. It's a little more subtle because it's not so it's not so obvious where that's coming from. And and I you know and I've heard I've heard enough stories from you know members of AA to understand that um, y'all often didn't understand where it was coming from for a long time either. Right? There was this day. April 10th, 2002, um, my loved one was in a treatment center. This was her first inpatient treatment. And by that, you might understand that there had been outpatient treatments before and that there were more inpatient treatments to come. They had, as most of these centers do, a day for friends and family. Excuse me. That is my dog who's being unhappy about something. Oh, <laughs> what's your dog's name? This is DJ. Come here, DJ. It's all right, DJ. You're going to be on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Let me, if, if you can pause for a moment. Sure. Or whatever we'll you just do, pause right? for just yeah. a second. <laughs> Okay, DJ is, where'd DJ go by any chance? Well, I put him out of the room. Um, it's possible he wants to go out, in which case I will need to, to go down and let him out. But, okay. Um, he'll come back and tell me if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I was there, Friends of Family Day, and they talk about alcoholism, and they talk about whatever. I mean, I've been to many of them, and, and there's a certain flow. and But that day... That day, I might have heard what the person said before. Those words might have been said to me before, but I, that day I heard them differently. And the words that they said was, I didn't cause it, I couldn't cure it, and I couldn't control it. Mm. They said, you 
didn't cause it. You can't cure it. You can't control it. And those words came into my heart and I felt a lightness of this burden of control being lifted from me. Had you ever heard those words before? As far I as you don't know. know. <laughs> I've been to I've been to at least two friends and family programs before that. I'm not sure. Um, and they might have said them. They might have because I, I know that that I had been told about Elanon before, and my reaction to that was, well, you know, I'm not the one with the problem here. Does that sound right? Does that sound familiar? Um, I'm not the one with the problem here. She needs to fix herself, and then we'll be fine. Um, but in the, it, it, that day, I, I, I understood that what I had been trying to do was not possible for me to do. And I won't say that having understood that once, that then I lived that for the rest of my time, because that is certainly not true. And so that evening, I went to my first Al-Anon meeting because I thought, well, okay, this is all well and good that I can't do it. And, and I, you know, that relieved me of that burden, but now what? Right now, what, how do I live my life when I'm not trying to control somebody else's drinking? Mm -hmm. How do I feel all that time? Um, it really was, well, yeah, but I'm miserable. And if I, if I can't even try to control, well, what? And so I guess another thing that happened that afternoon, and again, I might've seen this thing before, but there was a little flyer. It's a, you know, one sheet of paper, not even a full sheet of paper. It's got 20 questions printed on it. And at the top, it says something like, is Al-Anon for you? I don't know. Are you, it says, are you, are, are you bothered by somebody else's drinking? I think is, is sort of what it says at the top. And I picked it up and it has these questions. And I looked at these questions and I tried to answer them as honestly as I could. And out of the 20 questions, I said unqualifiedly yes to 16 of them. And there are questions like, you know, have you ever tried to control somebody's drinking up to have the police come to your house or have you called the police, you know? And, and there were four questions, three questions I could say no to and one that I was baby. Okay. And then at the bottom, it says, if you answered yes to one or more of these questions, you might benefit from going to Elena. <laughs> I was a math major in college, okay? <laughs> I know, like 16 is more than one, right? <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so I went to my first Al-Anon meeting that night, and uh, I cried. Um, I cried for probably my first month of Al-Anon meetings. Do you, so when you were crying, do you remember what the thought process was, why you were crying, what was going through your head at the time? I think it was one of these things where there was all this stuff bottled up inside, and here was a place that I could start to let it out. And it couldn't come out without tears. It just, it was, it was too deep and too strong to, to be able to come out. And, and also like the fear of, you know, if I can't fix it, what's going to happen to us, right? In my head, 
we go back to step one, the words in step one. In my head, my life was unmanageable, was a lot easier for me to admit in my head than I'm powerless. But as I say, in that moment, in, in that sitting in that room at the treatment center, my heart knew the truth of my powerlessness, um, which is where I felt that lightness, like I can't do it. Um, so I came to Elena, you know, a lot of people, I have heard a lot of people say, let me, let me be clear. I don't want to, I don't want to say what anybody else is thinking, but I've heard a lot of people say they came to Elanon to try to learn how to get their loved ones over. Right. They thought, Oh, these are the people that have the secret mm-hmm. because their therapist or somebody said, you know, you need to go to Elanon. Um, you're trying to control you know, your son's drinking, your husband's drinking, your wife's drinking, whatever. You should go to Al-Anon. And they're like, oh, these are the people who know the secret. Uh, and, and one of my friends said that they went to several meetings because each meeting they went to, like, they didn't have that secret. And well, they must go to the next meeting. They'll, they'll have it. I did not have that experience. I came knowing that I couldn't fix it. Um, I came to see if there was any kind of relief for me. And I figured, I think, I mean, I don't even know what I was thinking. I was just thinking, I was just like, let's try this thing because I'm desperate. I don't know what else. I had the gift of desperation in that moment, right? And at the end of the first meeting, the thing that I knew was that I wasn't alone anymore. You know, that there were, (laughs) there was at least 20 people in my town that understood, right? It was this one room full of people that, that understood. I don't know how I knew that, but I did. And they said, keep coming back. And they said, here's some phone numbers, call. And yeah, right. Like that didn't happen. I did come back though, because I felt better and a little bit better. And, and because of this, you know, alcoholism, addiction is a disease of isolation along with all the other stuff that goes on, right? And those of us who are co-dependent, who are co-addicted, uh, also often isolate. I did. Um, I had a lot of shame. And I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody in my shame life about, about it. Shame about what? Well, you know, because like I was married to an alcoholic and I couldn't fix her, right? Like that's somehow that's really shameful. It doesn't make, it's not a logical thing, right? It's a feeling. Um, and so I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I couldn't tell my family. I couldn't tell my friends. And I think if, it, if I had tried, they wouldn't have understood, which, you know, you also get that one, right? And here was a place where I could. As I came back, um, we, I think all 12-step programs have their slogans. Um, The big slogan that I picked up on at the beginning was let go and let God. And I don't know if we're going to get to step three today or even step two, but I wasn't sure about the God part. But I could try let go. I could try letting go of nagging. I could try letting go of slamming the wine bottles into the recycling as loud as I could. Um, 
I could let go of the idea that it was my job to control how much she drank. And again, I, I can't say that I was in any way 100% successful at letting go, but it was something that I started working on. And as I did that, like, I got better, <laughs> you know? Um, and also, it seemed like, and I have no evidence for this other than things happened. It seemed like when I stopped trying to do something about her drinking, she was more likely to step up and try to do something about herself. So after that inpatient, um, she picked up again. I don't remember exactly how long it was. And I, as much as I could, kept my hands off. And a month or so later, she said, I want to go into this residential program. Um, and this is, this is also where I start to see evidence of a higher power working in my life. Um, we had a little sports car that I call her midlife crisis car. <laughs> Um, she had bought this car from a friend in Texas. She she grew up in Texas, and she, her friend had this little sports car that he was selling, and we bought it for, I don't know, $5,000. And it was a fun car, although I got the only moving violations of my life in that car, but it was a fun car. A little while before she decided she wanted to go into this residential program, the car was parked on the street, and somebody ran into it and totaled it. And, you know, we spent $5,000 on it. So it didn't take a whole lot to total it. That money that we got from the insurance company was the down payment on her treatment. And I remember sitting in an Illinois meeting later that summer. And I don't know, I guess the topic was probably gratitude and, and saying, I think I have to be grateful to the person that ran into our car because that gave us the money for my wife to go to treatment. But that's getting a little ahead of the story, I guess. Anyway, so step one, um, I picked it up and I put it down and I picked it up and I put it down. Um, it's really hard to define, to recognize relapse in Al-Anon. Um, sometimes I think we, we can do it multiple times a day. But I will say um, she went to this residential program. She was sober for something like eight months, um, and she relapsed. And when I discovered the relapse, I picked up control. Okay, this was, this was my big, like, this was my relapse. Um, I picked control back up, and I said, you need to go back to treatment. We agreed when you came out that if you relapsed, you would go back, so you need to go back. So she went back for a month. And when she came out, she drank that night. And that was, I think that was when I really understood my powerlessness, like mm. all the way through, not just in my heart, but all the way through, like this is not possible. This is not something I can do. Um, and as far as I know, from that point, I totally let go of attempts to control as far as I know. 
<laughs> Let me just do a little announcement here. We will be continuing our conversation with Spencer T. In just a moment, just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. Um, you can also find the donate button on our website. You can use if then only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. So, Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, or organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right. Now back to Mr. Spencer Tease. Yeah. So step one, kind of clear, very difficult. No matter, I think what, you know, whether you're, you're co-addicted or, you know, you have a substance or a behavior, it's hard. Uh, it's really hard to do it on your own. Um, and for me, there were a lot of little back steps and, and that one big one that um, you know, the difference between that was, was I had a program that I could pick it up and I could, I started going to a lot more meetings. Um, and I got back to sort of my balance pretty, excuse me, pretty quickly. So I'm, um, I'm always curious about that from a Al-Anon perspective. You know, I see it a lot, obviously from a, uh, an alcoholic perspective, people go back out and, and then I get, I get phone calls quite honestly. And, you know, messages from family members saying he is back out again. What should I do? And, uh, you know, the thing that I always suggest obviously is take care of yourself and go to Al-Anon meetings. Um, but from a, from an Al-Anon's perspective, somebody has, Somebody was sober for a particular period of time. Then they go back out yeah. and they start drinking again. Yeah. What is, I don't even, I don't even understand how you get back to what you said, something like I got back to serenity or whatever pretty quickly. How does that happen? Um, well, you know, that's where I think steps two and three come in because I don't think, I don't think I could do it by myself. Um, I'll give you one other, a, a friend of mine whose loved one had some sobriety and then went out again, has said, you know, I don't have to get on his roller coaster anymore. Mm. I'm not completely okay, but I'm also not being dragged around. I'm not going up and down the hills on his roller coaster. So... That's, that's maybe another way to look at it. Um, as, as we got further along in our story, uh, her story includes a number of relapses, a number of rehabs, um, a couple more residential visits to, to a different program, and a fairly... I've heard her say that that she feels she had a pretty low bottom. Um, you know, she still had a house to live in. Um, she still was able to eat and, and all that um, because I was supporting us. But what I saw was that I didn't know whether 
she was going to be able to find her way to sobriety or if this disease was going to take her away. And I had the support of the program, the support of friends, the support of a loving higher power that let me be okay. I won't say happy, um, but I could be okay. I could, I could continue to live my life. I wasn't, you know, awake in the middle of the night and, and just having my stomach chewed up. So that's where I got to after like three and a half years in, in the program. And so I'm assuming at this time, your wife is, how do I put this? Like, okay, you're in the house. Are you all sleeping together? Is she drunk next to you? You've seen her drunk all the time. I mean. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so, so then let me ask you this. There are people out there. I know they're listening, right? And they're where you were many years ago now. Yeah. Back in 2002. Yeah. And they're saying to themselves, should I stay or should I go? And I know that it's, I know there's no easy answer for this and no. you're not going to give advice, but you do have no. experience. There is no easy answer to that question. And I had that same question and it actually took me a couple of years to find my answer to that question. Um, and my answer was stay. My answer was that, you know, the person I loved was still there in this disease. Um, right now, jumping forward, um, my father is in somewhere in the end stages of Alzheimer's. He's still my father, even though he doesn't act like my father. He's not the, he's not the brilliant, you know, loving person. Well, loving. Okay. <laughs> he's not the person that my father was, but he's still my father. And, and it's really hard to see that sometimes. Um, just as it was really hard to see, you know, the, the Amy that I married in the alcoholism. But what I came to understand, and, and again, the support, the guidance of a higher power was very evident to me there because I heard that voice saying to me, you know, there's the person you love. Um, she's in the grips of this disease, but she's still there. And in that, in that moment, I could make that decision to stay. But up until that point, I really, I didn't know what the right answer was for me. Because neither answer seemed like the right answer. As you know, there's a fine balance between enabling and finding that quiet spot within you that says, this is the right answer. And yeah. uh, anyway, I'm just thinking about all the people yeah. listening, just struggling yeah. with that particular yeah. decision point. So the thing that I heard in meetings, and as you said, we, we 
try not to give advice because what is right for me may or may not be right for you. But the, the thing that I heard that is probably the closest to advice I got, besides keep coming back, okay, we do say that, was if you don't know the answer to a dilemma you're faced with and you're not in immediate danger of harm, you don't need to make a decision right away. Mm, sage know, advice. Um, and, and I took, you know, we, we tend, we often abbreviate that to don't just do something, stand there, you know, um, you know, instead of don't just stand there, do something. It's like, no, don't just do something like stand there until you know what's the right thing. But it did take a couple of years and it was, <laughs> you know, it's not easy living in indecision. Right. Uh, but it, 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 it's what, what working this program and I worked this program, I think pretty hard. Um, I came in and I started to hear that there were people who were, you know, living with alcoholism, but they were not like all messed up. Like I was like, they were, they were kind of okay. They were sometimes happy. Like, how did that happen? You know? And they're like, well, go to meetings, read the literature, get a sponsor, work the steps. I'm like, well, okay, that doesn't make sense, but I guess I'll do it. <laughs> um, and so I did that, you know, I got a sponsor pretty quickly. And the next step that I came to was step two, um, which is uh, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I love the, the decomposition that I've heard of the first three words of that step, because I came, you know, that's what I did first. I came. That was, that was the action that I could take. I came, I started coming to meetings. I bought the books. I was listening to people. I was reading the literature. And I got to say, you know, reading the literature and it's, it's like the big book, the AA, the Al-Anon book called how Al-Anon works. It's got the program in the front and it's got stories in the back. And I could read those stories and I could get a little bit of peace and I could get to sleep maybe. Um, and I could read the front and I could start to understand what this crazy program was maybe about. Um, so step two came to believe. So I came and I started participating. I started engaging and I started to wake up. I started to come to. I started to hear what the program was saying. I started to take a little bit of it in and I came to believe that this power, that this program could help me. And that's all I needed for step two. To believe that there was some power greater than me, which for me at the beginning was the group and the program, the literature, the meetings, the groups, that that power was greater than me and that it already was starting to restore me to sanity. Um, I still was like, but God, what is this God thing? I don't know. Um, I loved the, the program you had on the guy you had on um, last week um, talking about step three and, and you got a little bit into step four. What was his name? Bill C. Yeah. Um, I, I really like what he said matches where, where I finally came to, which is I don't have to 
name a God. I don't have to visualize a God. I don't even have to name it God. But I have this experience, right? It's that 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 God is not a thing or a being. God is an experience. And that, you know, I had the experience, but I had the difficulty of putting that three-letter word name on that experience. Um, but but I, I understand now that understanding that, yeah, there is a higher power and I'm not it is the essence of step two. And that if I let it, it can restore me to, it can bring me out of the insanity that I was living in. I guess, you know, that's what restore me to sanity means, right? But I struggled with this idea that I had to have a picture of whatever my God might be. A picture. So what did you have a picture before? No. Well, yeah, I had a picture of what it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't the guy with the beard sitting up in the sky judging me. Like I rejected that. And by rejecting that, I rejected the notion. I rejected the experience. So like Bill C. talked about uh, in that episode, and I know what you're talking about. He said, basically, sometimes when you bring up the word God and you put it at the center of a table, people bring their their baggage with it and they associate all their baggage. So they're more thinking about what they don't believe. Yes, I brought my baggage. Um, But I could see that I was being helped. And I had these little experiences of, you know, the car, the car getting wrecked. So we had the money to pay for recover, to pay for the first part of, 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 of the treatment. Um, you know, there were some others that happened where I would get this, you know, voice, whatever you want to call it, that was telling me things that I would not have told myself. You mean like a inner uh, an, an inner, inner voice, voice, if you will? Gotcha. Yeah, still small voice, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, example: uh, the other example that I, that I that I cite often is, um, so she got out of treatment after out of, out of the inpatient uh, the residential treatment. I think it was four months, four or five months, um, and we were eighteen years married at that point. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, and we had these wedding bands that we had bought when we were young and foolish and, and they weren't very durable. And she said, you know, I'd like to get wedding bands that, that will actually last, that we don't have to keep getting fixed. Um, and so we went to the local like high-end jeweler guy who does his own designs and she found a ring she loved and it cost a certain amount of money. And my reaction was no way in hell. <laughs> right. Which answer didn't go over real well, as you Not might bad. imagine. Right. Um, and I don't know, a few days later, maybe I'm just walking down the street and this little voice in my head, this, you know, you can call it God. You can call it my subconscious, whatever you want to call it said, this is really important to her. You need to do this. Mm. Okay, where'd that come from? Right? 
Um, and I said, okay. And then we went to another jeweler and she found a ring that was very similar that she liked just as well. That was less than half the price. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I feel like there by letting go of my resistance, you know, my higher power was telling me, you need to let go of that attitude. And then we came actually to an answer that was a lot easier for me to accept. Just happened. I, uh, I, I can't say for sure. Is that God or not? But it, but it was coming at the time that I was sort of struggling with steps two and three. Uh, and, and it's like, yeah, okay. So that came at just the right time to help me with this understanding. So in the book, I think it talks about something to do with the rearrangement of a personality and, you know, acting in different ways. And so that's what I'm thinking of when, when that happened for you. And I had some similar experiences. Um, So then we come to step three, which is like, okay, now that I've accepted that there's some power greater than me and that it can help me. And now I have to like make this decision to like, give up my control over myself. What the hell? Okay. (laughs) And step three uh, made a decision, excuse me, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Right. So let me ask you this real quick before you go into it. In Alcoholics Anonymous, there's it's page 63 of the big book. Everybody knows the prayer. You know, you kind of get on your knees and you say that what sort, is there some sort of uh uh, standard way to no. do step three? No, I don't think there is. Um, some people use that prayer. Um, and, and actually I eventually years later came, came to that. Um, I reworded it a little bit to fit with, you know, my personal religious understanding, but that's, but the idea that the, the phrase in there of relieve me of the bondage of self is the, the one that really, speaks to me personally um, because what I, what I have seen is that when I try to take control with my own will is when things more often don't work out. Right. Um, So I struggled with step three and my sponsor said, fake it till you make it. My sponsor said, act as if because step three only says we made a decision, right? It doesn't say, I have to give it up right now. It just says, I have to make a decision that I'm going to give it up. If you look at the words precisely, and that was important to me. The other part of step three that, that was important to me because, you know, my ego, I'm sure, like, I don't want to give up, like, my direction of my own life. What the heck um, is care of? And the understanding that I've come to of how my higher power works in my life is that my higher power gives me guidance. And that if I pay attention to that guidance, which is what like step 11 is about. um, If I pay attention to that guidance, that I will be led to better outcomes for me. So step three says care of, and and when I understand that word care of to mean 
like my higher power wants me to do well, wants things to work out well for me. So it's going to give me hints and clues and sometimes outright smacks upside the head mm-hmm. um, to get me to understand what that path that works out better for me is. And so step three is I'm going to listen and I'm going to try to follow that path to the best I understand it. And that's, that's the way. So that's one way that I understand step three. The other one that I've come to more recently and partly I think from listening to some of the guys on, on your podcast and, and probably on other recovery podcasts and open, open speakers is that the other thing that step three means, and and I use this with like sponsees who are, you know, atheist or just have a whole lot of trouble with the God concept. Um, the only thing that step three is asking me to do is to give my life and my will over to the subsequent steps of this program. Mm-hmm. That by taking step three, I make a commitment to do the rest of the steps because that's how my life's going to get better. Um, you know, and the higher power comes back up in the later steps and, and, and I need a deeper understanding at that point. If I don't get past step three, I don't get to the recovery. Right. I can keep coming to meetings. I can keep having people understand what my life is like. I can keep feeling a little better, but I don't change. Mm-hmm. And my life doesn't really get better if I don't change. That's right. It's like going to church on Sundays and doing nothing Monday through Saturday, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going to the gym once a week. That's right. the same deal, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, or buying a gym membership. It's sort of like buying a gym membership and then not going to the gym, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, right now I'm not going to the gym because of other reasons, but thank you, COVID. Um, but where I was at with that, um, Working the program, yeah. If I don't change, things don't really get better. Um, and and step three is a commitment to me to keep doing that. Um, in the process, I find a connection with something greater than myself that helps me in so many ways. Um, but I have to get past step three. And that's what my my early sponsor meant by saying, act as if, you know. Do this, do the, do the work, put one foot in front of the other, act as if there's a higher power guiding your life. And you know what? You will come to find that there is a higher power guiding your life. That's great. That is a, that is a, that is a good succinct discussion, my friend, on steps one, two, and three. If anybody, and I know everybody's going to want to listen to your podcast, which is once again an excellent podcast called The Recovery Show. Not Recovery Show, The or The, however you want to say that word. Yes. Um, how yes. do they find your podcast? So we are at therecovery.show um, is the website. You can go there. There's links to subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and all that fun stuff. Uh, Or you can just play it directly on the website, especially if you're just like checking it out. Um, And that little emblem they'll look for, that's a moth. Is that right? 
It it's a Luna moth. Um, it's it's a light green moth with a kind of fancy shaped wings. Yeah, why why is that the emblem or whatever you call it for your show? So there's a, and this is actually a coincidence, but there's a sort of unofficial symbol for the Al-Anon program of a butterfly. I think it has to do with like uh, you know the caterpillar turning into a butterfly and being born and and that sort of thing, um, and. And I was just looking for a logo for the show back when we started it. Like, you got to have something, right? And I don't know how that came to me, but I had this picture. This moth had been on the outside of a screen door at my parents' house, and I had taken a picture of it. And I thought, you know, this is a cool little thing. It's kind of recognizable, and there's there's some symbolism here. So I just... I just used it and, and you know, I've had it ever since. Uh, I, probably some guidance from a higher power there. Okay. There you go. Bring it back to the theme of the podcast. Well, I definitely recognize it when I see it. So you're doing something right. So we will, uh, I'm sure, pick it up at some later date. Uh, start with uh, four and just like I said, kind of meander and see yeah. where we get, my friend. Does that sound Step good to you? Four. That step that I was never going to do. That's right. <laughs> I'm not going to do those 12 steps, and I'm especially not going to do that one. <laughs> or the amend step. Yeah, there's there's that one too. <laughs> but, you know, if I wasn't going to do four, I'd never get to nine. So, All right. Uh, hold on. I need to grab my big book here. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit of a teaser for the next one. Yep. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm going to close it out with page 164 from the book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Spencer T., as you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Spencer, thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, thanks for asking me. God bless. Thank you, Mr. Spencer T., for coming in here to share some of your insight and wisdom, not only with me, but the rest of the Sober Speak audience regarding the steps of Al-Anon. Um, I so appreciate it. I, in so many ways, have mimicked the format of your show, and you have spent hours with me um, teaching me about the skill of podcasting, and I am forever grateful for that. Please give my best to your lovely bride, Amy. If you are out there and you enjoyed this episode and you believe someone in your family or a friend may benefit from hearing this, please take a moment to pause your device and share this episode with them. It may be just what they need today. Now on to a little bit of listener feedback. Cortland writes in. I love this one. Cortland says, my name is Cortland and my higher power gave me the courage to change the things I could on November 5th, 2018. I am currently living in central Nebraska, trying my hand at farming. 
only been here two years, but I love the spiritual connection I have gained in the nature of my higher power. I was in my active addiction for 18 years with many hard-won lessons along the way, most of them ignored until life hit me in the face. My grandmother passed away, and I came out for her funeral. I ended up getting so intoxicated at the wake that I got arrested for, in quotes, excuse me, in a parentheses, another um, parentheses, aggravated DUI. I woke up in jail, not for the first time, but something clicked that day. Even though I ended up missing the funeral altogether, it was the biggest illusion shattering experience of my life. From that day forward, I've been working towards my recovery. I've had falls and stumbles along the way, but finally found my groove on November 5th of 2018. I am currently studying drug and alcohol counseling in hopes of giving back what was so freely given to me. I am extremely grateful to have found your podcast, especially in these difficult times where our meeting places are shut down. I found myself out on the pasture one day, oblivious to the beauty around me. My anger and anxiety continued to rise until I realized what I needed. I needed some recovery in my life in a serious way. That's when I opened Spotify and started searching podcast. Yours was the first one I picked out of the many out there. I believe I was guided by my higher power and instantly connected. I found my I find myself listening to one or two each time I'm out working on the land. They completely readjust me, keep me centered, and bring me back to the person I've been discovering. I think it's a great service that you're doing, and I have already begun sharing your podcast with others. Before I started farming, I used to be an audio engineer, and while I'm limited on funds until this craziness is over, I would be more than happy to offer my services in any way I can. Thank you again for what you're doing. Your podcast has a bigger impact than you know. Excuse me, Cortland. Cortland, oh, that was so... Such a wonderful writing. I wish I could write as good as some of you guys out there who do this. Uh, I I, uh, I don't even know if I speak that well either, but I'm definitely not a good writer. But um, I love the fact that you went back and became a farmer. I, I just I, I find that fascinating, and I love that you get a a, a spiritual connection. Uh, by working on the land and or, in the in the uh, what do you call it? Well, you were out in the pasture one day, uh, and, and all of a sudden you realized that you could change your perception by looking up a podcast. And I'm glad to be part of that journey along with you. And you know, I have a similar similar experience with my uh, grandfather when he died, and I was not able to make the the funeral, and I'm not going to go all into that right now, but I really connected with that particular story. And and thank you again. And, and I, you know, I, I wrote back and I let Cortland know, uh, maybe there's something he can help me with in the future. I don't know. I, I kind of have to noodle on it a little bit, but more than anything, Cortland, I really appreciate your letter and I appreciate your vulnerability. 
Carla writes in and she says, hi there, I'm from Los Gatos, California, and in big parentheses, the cats. So anyway, just in case you didn't get the connection there, Los Gatos in Spanish translated to English means the cats. So I wonder if there's a lot of cats out there in that area. Who knows? She says, I can't remember how I found you. I think I was looking for some inspiration and search for the podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I've been a member of the AA community for about five years with mixed results. I have occasional blips, but am mostly AF. Now I had to write I I had to write back and I didn't know what AF meant. She told me, but when I first heard AF, I thought, well, you know, you see that a lot out there nowadays, like sober AF, which means sober as I'll let you fill in the blank there. Um, I also thought possibly this was Al-Anon family group, just like really abbreviated down. I didn't know what it was, but she said it is mostly, and there's going to be a lot of you out there saying, get to it. I know what it is. Well, I'm not as sharp as a lot of the folks out there. I'm a little, uh, uh, I'm sharp as a marble, I guess I should say. But nonetheless, uh, she says I'm mostly AF, which means uh, alcohol free. There we go. I travel for work, not right now, uh, and was just needing some meeting between meetings. I love your podcast, and it has really helped me to collect days and weeks and months. I think you are terrific. Oh, well, thank you, Carla. I think you're terrific, too. And I ha- and I have loved how you have evolved the podcast over the past year. <laughs> thank you. Oh, man, if you go back and listen to some of the earlier ones, uh, it was not pretty. But thank you anyway. I appreciate it, Carla. The stories are always uh, inspiring when I face temptation, I just strap on my running shoes and put in my AirPods and let you guide me on a run. I especially loved the episode with Tim S. last year. He's a runner as well. I'm sure you know that. And she says, I would love to be added to the email list. I got her on the email list and she said, oh, and we also got her into the secret Facebook group, the super secret Facebook group. And she says, thank you so so much for all you do. Uh, For the many listeners, you have built a really wonderful community warmly, Carla. Well, I would say we have built a lovely community. I just happen to be the guy with the mic here that puts out stuff every once in a while, but I really appreciate it. Allison writes in and she says, and the the title of this was, Thank You and Yes, Please. She said, I stumbled upon your podcast via Podbean. Thank you for creating and curating. I love that word, curate. Is that what I do? I'm a curator. Uh, Such wonderful wisdom and recovery content. As a woman in long-term sobriety, uh, January 4th of 2002 is my sobriety date. I welcome new insight and perspective about how to look, relook, and sometimes unlook at things in my everyday life that need my attention. See, I told you, you guys are just incredible writers. Uh, and I'm going to read that again. She goes, I welcome new insight and perspective about how to look, relook, and sometimes unlook at things in my everyday life that need my attention. She says that the beginning of the episode, Bill C., Step 3 of Alcoholics Anonymous, you mentioned the opportunity of joining your private Facebook group. 
If possible, I'd love to be part of that. Is there anything additional you need from me to assure I earn my seat at the recovery table? Please let me know in gratitude, Allison. Well, as you know, Allison, all we needed to get was your email associated with your Facebook group, and we love to have you in there. Uh, and I and I love to, ha- and I'm glad that you made it in. Uh, thanks a lot, Allison. Brad writes in, and Brad says. Hey, John, I learned about Sober Speak through Jenny L. And just in case you're not aware of Jenny L., Jenny L. has an episode on our podcast. Uh, We were on a meeting together the other night. Oh, he must be talking about they're on a, a Zoom meeting together during all this time. And she mentioned it. I logged in and signed up. But honestly, I've not listened to any of the speakers yet off your platform, but intend to. Well, you know what, Brad? You've got over 130 episodes that you can listen to, including Miss Jenny L. He says a little about me. Uh, My first meeting was in 1987. My first honest attempt was in 1994. The last time I took a drink was 2005. I've drank for six months since 1994. And my sobriety date is January 22nd of 2019. In a major error in judgment, my quote, Eskimo, unquote, appeared in the form of my daughter offering a pot brownie during a vacation we took together. My fatherly advice was to let her know I'd do it just this once to prove to her I could quit drinking, or or, excuse me, to prove to her I could quit. And then he, uh, the period and dumb period, humbling, period. And it threw me directly into the middle of AA all the way in, sat all the way down and living one day at a time. I was attending AA at the time, just living on the edge instead of all the way in. I've been sober the majority of my adult life, and I am grateful to the many members of AA that have walked with me. My two best friends are 30 plus years sober, and we've walked this path together. Blessed to be a member of this program and hoping to continue my spiritual walk on this planet. I live in Dallas, uh, a few miles from the Highland Park city limits. My home group is the Chicago group, which is Jenny's home group. Well, actually, hers could be the, is that her home group or is it that one called uh, Get in the Car or something like that? Nonetheless, and I attend more meetings though at Preston. I'm originally from Wichita, Kansas. I appreciate your service. I'm very grateful. I am a very grateful Brad in gratitude. Be uh, BA. So, and the reason he said that I'm a grateful Brad is because uh, well, I don't want to give away his email address, but we we talked about several things with his email address. But anyway, Jalisa writes in and Jalisa says, hello, John M. Thank you for the Sober Speak platform for when I am at my weak points and I am tired of calling someone, talking to someone about the booze, reading the big book, reading the 12 and 12, etc., etc. I tune into Sober Speak and it strengthens me and encourages me so much. Thank you. 
Thank you. All big capital letters. Thank you. Thank you for providing these podcasts for the gift of in big capital letters, hope, which is found in your messages and those who share their stories. Have a great weekend, Jalisa. Well, thank you, Jalisa. So good to hear from you. And I'm so glad as always for many of you that you allow me to be part of your journey. Sandra writes in, as Sandra, Sandra says, um, hello, I hope you are well. Firstly, I would like to say that I am finding your podcast very interesting and helpful. My sister is sadly an alcoholic, and I am listening since I would like to be able to understand her better. What would be interesting for me is to hear about what makes people more likely to succeed than others. Why do some people manage to stay sober and others don't? What is the difference between these people? Is it genes, character traits, internal strength, destiny, question mark, or is it just random question mark? And how in big capital letters, can families help people who are still drinking? All right, he goes on a little bit more. She writes about a, a Chris M. By the way, Chris M. I think was uh, episode number five, if I'm not mistaken. She says, I was a bit appalled by Chris M. that he was saying why he went to the army, that he was just wanted to shoot people. And after one year staying in Iraq, he was disappointed that he couldn't kill anybody and he wanted to come home. I found that really difficult to hear. Is that what the army's about? Just found that unsettling. Thanks for reading Sandra S. Oh, Sandra. Okay, so there's several pieces to this and I'm not going to really give you advice here. Um, but, uh, you know, like I did, I wrote back and I said to you a couple things. Number one, have you found Al-Anon? Uh, I, I think that those are the people that you need to go for, go to for uh, answers to your questions. In fact, I think it's very apropos that this episode was and is Spencer T with the first three steps of Al-Anon. My guess is somebody has mentioned Al-Anon to you before. You may even be an Al-Anon member. You just didn't mention that in your letter. Uh, but nonetheless, that may be uh, something you could do. The other thing that I suggested is if if, uh, if you want to join the secret Facebook group and post your question in there, you can get answers. Now, I will tell you, though, I've been doing this quite some time. And if you ask 10 different people uh, to answer your questions, you're going to get 10 different answers. Um, so uh, it sounds like you may be at the beginning of your journey. Uh, and there's not an easy question to any of those, uh, uh, easy answer to any of those questions that you answered. But, and in terms of Chris M and what he said during step five, part of what I like, uh, and what I encourage people to do during this, when they're recording is, uh, to be as vulnerable as they possibly can, because our secrets will keep us sick. And, um, I, I I'm assuming Anyway, I'm not going to go into what he said on that episode. Uh, just, just say this. I like people to be vulnerable. I think in the long run, it's the best thing to do. All right. All right, everybody. That is another episode in the books 
for Sober Speak. Thanks again so much, Spencer, for coming in to share your strength and wisdom. Uh, everybody out there, keep coming back. It works if you work it. Love you guys. I'll probably be back next week. Like I said, I always take this one week at a time.